You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. I'm really looking forward to today. It's always wonderful seeing people get baptized, declaring that they are Christians. I wonder if we're really honest for many of us, if I say the word Christian to you, what do you think of? I feel I've got a prop here this morning, and let's see if I can pull this one off. I'd like to think of uh, life could be a little bit like a rucksack. And the reality is that for many of us, that when we approach Christianity, we think there's things that we should do. If we're really honest, being a Christian means I need to read the Bible, so I'm going to stick that in my bag. We think if I'm a Christian, it means I'm going to pray. I might stick that in my bag. If I'm a Christian, surely I shouldn't lust and lie. I better stick that in my bag as well. Oh, if I'm a Christian, doesn't it say somewhere I've got to obey my parents? I better stick that in my bag. If if I'm a Christian, shouldn't I love everyone around me? And so what we end up doing is we feel Christianity is just carrying a bag of bricks. Actually, we've, we, we've, we almost feel like Christianity just means God, I've got to drag all these things around that I'm meant to be doing. Oh, if only I could do this. If only I could be good enough. If only I could get back to us. Because these people, they, surely they do all these things. Is that what it means to be a Christian? Well, we're going to be looking at a letter in the Bible. It was to a guy called Titus. If you have a Bible, it's well worth turning to it, looking up on your phone. If you haven't, the words will be coming up on the screen. Because I think the author of this letter would say, get rid of your bag. And instead, let's trust God. So Titus, we're going to read it. Titus chapter 1, and I'm just going to read the first four four verses. That's all I'm doing today. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Yes, it is one sentence. Paul was obviously very excited when he started writing this letter. He goes on, To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. What do we know about Titus? We know that actually Titus was a non-Jew. He wasn't part of the Jewish race. So in the Bible, they are described as Gentiles. I would imagine most of us in this room, according to the Bible, will be described as Gentiles. It's funny, if you read the, the account of the good news of Jesus spreading all around the world, it's in the book of Acts. Titus is not mentioned once. Some think that he was the brother of Luke, and nobody wants your brother getting too much credit. Actually, he is mentioned 13 times elsewhere in the book of New Testament. He's obviously a talented and capable leader. What about Paul? Okay, so I've got Titus, who is a young um, Gentile man. Paul, by now, is an old man. Paul is basically, he's shuffling along, he's a Jew. Paul used to be 
the professional bag carrier. Paul, you know, was keeping all the rules for so long, and now he is diligently passing his life's work onto Timothy and Titus. This book, Titus, is in the Bible, follows 1 and 2 Timothy. Some call them the pastoral letters. It's really at the end of his life. You can read about it in 2 Timothy. I've fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I now want to pass on all my wisdom to you. So that's what's happening here. You've got to understand that Paul hated Christians, anyone that followed Jesus. He wasn't just, oh, I don't like them. Oh, I just think they're all goody two-shoes and wears check shirts. <laughs> Actually, he hated them. He tortured them. Paul literally ended up throwing them into prison. Paul was there when people were being stoned for being a Christian and saying, that's a good job, well done, keep it up. Paul's name is mentioned first... But he's not the one mentioned most. And obviously, if you looked at that passage, I would say that the whole way through this passage is God. The whole way through the passage is God. I'm a Sussex boy, uh, Brighton by the sea. was probably the nearest town to where I was born. And if you go down there, you get this rock. And right through the rock, you can see Brighton written. And, And I guess wherever you'd have cut the rock, you find the word Brighton. Wherever you cut this book of Titus, you find God. And so right from the beginning here, if you look at it, and I'm going to highlight each one that comes up very quick, skipping through, it is about God. It says, Paul, a servant of God, literally a slave who did whatever God said. He had no will or time of his own. That's how Paul is describing himself. I'm committed to God. He says, I'm an apostle of Jesus. An apostle means a sent one. A chosen one, a commissioned one. He was part of God's elect. The people of God chosen by God. The God who does not lie. Or exaggerate. Always economical with the truth. No false impression, no doctored images on Instagram. God is the one who does not lie. He's the God who keeps his promises. There's no circumstances beyond God's control, no unforeseen event, no new knowledge, which means he changes his mind. He's outside of time. Often we think of God as the Alpha and the Omega, that was the beginning and the end. But actually the Bible says he's he's outside of time. And yet he also has these appointed seasons because God is sovereign. He's in charge. Wow, how great is this picture of God. Paul says it was his word that came to illuminate us because God shows us the way. It's God who commands because he's the Lord as well as our Savior. But he also says he is the Savior. When I couldn't save myself, he reached down and saved me. We'll hear these three stories of baptism in just a moment. He also describes God as Father. The title given by Jesus when he said, this is how you're to pray. And again, saviour. You see, what I find fascinating here is when Paul is writing to these younger men, he's more aware of God's faithfulness than their failures. And yet our challenge so often is when we come before God, we're aware of our failures. (laughs) I mean, you all look like the perfect bunch to me today. But let's be honest, behind that screensaver face, what's happened yesterday? Or the day before. 
This letter is going to be a massive challenge and a wake-up call to London folk. Because if we're really honest, I thought everything evolved around me. Yeah, but why is my queue going slower than their queue? I want to be served quicker. How big is your view of God? As we come this morning, as we've been singing, you think, wow, well, these guys get a bit carried away with songs. Surely it's because our view of God is, whoa, this is our God. And yet the letter then goes on to talk about what we would describe as the gospel. There's three chapters in this letter. The first one describes gospel leaders. The second one describes gospel life. And the third one describes gospel mission. Yep, I've said it to you in one sentence. I want to take the next six weeks to explain that. Because I think, actually, in this introduction, we get this framework by which we understand the whole rest of the letter. And the framework is this. Faith, truth, and hope. Faith. The word faith is used three times. If you look in your Bible, you can see it in verse 1, in verse 2, and verse 4. We know that the author to Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's not about us, it's about trusting him. I read this definition this week of faith. I thought I'd bring it to you. Faith is radical reliance upon God. Real faith is not feeling, it's not seeing, it's not understanding, it's not knowing, but still trusting God. Real faith is convinced that no matter what we see happening, no matter what we understand to be true, no matter how we feel, God will be faithful to his word and he will perform his promises to us in his timing and his way. That's faith. And this is what Paul is he's, he's writing to Timothy. He saying, you know what? Ditch the bag. Go for faith. Go for faith. Hebrews 6, as I said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when Paul's writing to the church in Rome, he says, actually, you've been justified by faith. That means you stand absolutely perfect before a holy God. I remember at secondary school, it was a Friday afternoon, I was stood outside the science class because I'd misbehaved. The headmaster came along and said to the teachers, shall I take this boy away and cane him? Man alive, I don't think he's very pleased with me. The head was always the perfect one, and I just never quite seemed to hit his standards. I guess if we're brutally honest, that's true with us and God. But by faith, it's like the headmaster coming along and saying, great lad, I think you deserve a merit. <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen either, but you know, it's... <laughs> by faith, we defend ourselves. It says in Ephesians 6, Take up the shield of faith by which you extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And it's great. We're going to hear three people's stories. But the reality is being a Christian, I've always said at this church, it's not a crutch for the weak, it's a machete for the adventurous. There's a challenge and there's a fight. And they say, no, no, come on, I'm going to trust God. Faith leads to forgiveness. Jesus saw their faith, we read in Mark 2, and he said to the paralyzed, Son, your sins are forgiven. Ultimately modeled by Jesus Christ himself, true faith. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He prays for the disciples, surrenders his life, and says, not my will, but yours be done. That's true faith. 
What about truth? What is truth? I mean, what a question today. I think it was Mark Twain who said, never let truth get in the way of a good story. And let's be honest, that can often be true, can't it? You know, when we're retelling a situation, we can make ourselves look slightly smarter or funnier or cleverer. I guess if we're brutally honest, though, now with fake news in the media so often, what is truth? Some people say, well, what you believe is true for you and what I believe is true for me. Is truth in the eye of the beholder. Different strokes for different folks. Is that how we believe in truth? You have your beliefs and I have mine and that's the end of it? According to relativists, there's no absolute or objective truth. But that's not really true in life, is it? If they don't give me the right change, I don't say, oh, that was great, that was good for you. I say, no, 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 I want the rest of my money. You know, if I get cancer, I don't say to the dinner lady at school or the midday supermarket, what do you think about it? I want to go and see the doctor. Because there's, there's people that, that know. Elvis Presley, he's either dead or alive. He can't be both, can he? Relativism is logically incoherent. You cannot say the statement, all truth is relative. Because if that's objectively true, then relativism is false. I sometimes wonder if we've struggled knowing the gospel of truth because Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we reject Jesus, we reject truth. I guess the gospel is saying, look, I want you to know real truth. And the gospel, the other word that Paul uses is hope. I don't know if you're an optimist. It feels a bigger and bigger challenge, doesn't it? Knife crime in Hanwell and Southall recently. Money scammers. Holiday firms going bust. Yet gospel hope is not on my circumstances, but on God and his eternity. I hope that when we hear the stories of those getting baptized, we think, oh, hope starts to emerge in them. John Piper is a Christian speaker in the States, and he says this, Christian hope is when God has promised that something's going to happen, and you put your trust in that promise. Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass, because God has promised it to come to pass. And I guess that's the hope that Paul was trying to say, hey, you got hope. Not hope, come on, let's polish up the back of your shoes. Not hope, can I get through in life? Not hope, can I make it in London? But hope, according to Romans 8, that says, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all? That's what gives us hope, because that's the gospel. Corrupt politicians. A trash, selfish culture where newspapers cannot be trusted, racist culture where there is a fear of crime, people reluctant to do manual work, so reliant upon migrant workers, a culture where people routinely overeat. That was Crete 2,000 years ago. And that is where Paul was writing this letter. It was a challenge to live the gospel in that kind of place. So he fixes upon God and he says, look, even though life is tough, I want you to go for the gospel. 
And then the third thing that I want to bring as a challenge this morning is, what about godliness? Religion tries to put behavior first. Earn God's approval, acceptance. Try and balance the scales of, oh, golly, I'm going to have to do another good deed because I've just thought a horrendous thought. Paul says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. That's the goal for these three people that are getting baptized. We, we don't want them just to think, oh, that's it. They've, they've become a Christian. They've prayed a prayer. They've, they've got wet in front of all their friends. We want them to be godly. Is godliness carrying a bag? I don't think so. I think godliness is more like this. A redeemer keep cup. There you go. You can pick yours up today on the way out, I'm sure. That represents us. And this represents God. And the reality is, we all know, don't we, that if I start pouring this into the cup, at some point, the cup overflows. Yeah, I mean, if we owned the building, I would have done it on the carpet. But you know what I'm saying? It's not quite as dramatic in a tray, is it? Yeah, but, you know, I want to come back next Sunday. <laughs> the reality is godliness is an overflow of God. It's not you picking up bricks and trying to do what you want to do. So when Paul is writing to them, he's saying, don't carry a bag, but be filled with God. Don't get corked up in an activity, but there'll be an overflow in your life. If there's not, are you a Christian? Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you're not on God filling you and God's bigger than we are, there should be an overflow in the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we speak. Think about it. You can see a classic one right in this letter. Paul is old and Timothy is young. Paul would like classical music and Timothy would like rock music. I don't think they had those in those days, but I'm sure they would have had totally different outlooks on life. Paul was a Jew Timothy was a Gentile. They didn't mix. Oh, but godliness meant they did because there was an overflow of God. Racial harmony should come from an overflow of God, not because we're carrying our bricks. You see, this the gospel should change everything. I don't know how many of you have read of the SCAR experiment. This happened in America. I think it was in the early 90s. And what they did is they got a whole load of people into a, a place and they, they did them all up with makeup so they had grotesque scars on their faces. And they showed them in a the mirror how ugly they looked. And they said, oh, we've just got to finish them off and then we're going to send you out and see how people react to you. But what they did is they wiped them all clean but didn't show the people a the mirror. They went outside. And they came back and they said, how do people react? And they said, oh, God, they kept staring at me. They thought I was absolutely ugly. The reality was the scar had been removed. But their identity was that. You see, they reacted according to their identity. And we should be different if the gospel changes our identity. We sung earlier about no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And so, honestly, that should make a difference. Baptism, it's not trying to carry a brick. It's an overflow of the love of God. 
Paul ends with these two words, and I shall end with them as well. He talks about the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, something from God. You see, that is the gospel. Grace, unearned, undeserved. Look, that is, that's just unheard of, isn't it? We all know there's no such thing as a freelance. We all know there's a catch somewhere, isn't there? But actually, the gospel, which is God's idea, not ours, says it's all of grace. Wow. And then he talks about peace, relationships with others. We've been justified through faith. We have peace with God. Those people that get baptized this morning, they could tell you, if they had long enough to go through the whole story, that they didn't used to have peace with God. They didn't feel like he was listening, they could talk to him. They'd probably say, actually, they didn't always have peace with other people. In fact, they're brutally honest. They'd probably say they didn't always have peace with themselves. But actually, by receiving this overflow of God, they would say, oh, I've now got peace with God. Not because of what I'm carrying, but because of what he's done for me. I can now know peace with other people, not because of my activities, but because he's overflowing my life. I could actually know acceptance of myself, not because of my activity, but because of his overflowing grace. And so we always think it's, a, it's an immense privilege, the gospel outworked in baptism. And so what Paul was writing about, and we're going to look at for the next few weeks, is, hey, this is all about God, it's his gospel, and it's going to lead to godliness. So why do we do it the way that we do it here? Well, this really is meant to be a picture of a grave. This is meant to be somebody when they get in the It's voluntarily, by the way. These three haven't been coerced into doing it. They've invited you as their friends, I hope. They get in the pool and literally they're saying, push me back down in the grave. I'm dying to myself. And obviously we then pull them back up again because they then say, I'm going to continue to live for God. And this is an overflow of what he has done for me. This is not, oh, I've got to pick up a brick and I've got to, oh, I've got to beat myself. No, actually, when I realize what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me, when I realized that he died in my, I, the guilty one, go free and the innocent one was punished, well, then my overflow is I want to give my life to him. Now, the beautiful thing is we're going to actually hear their story in their own words I know uh, Mark and Nicky will be just explaining about this. We're going to get our kids to come back in. The three people will come out and share this story one after another. And then we're going to go over to the pool and do this. I just want to challenge some of you. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, ah, have I got faith? Have I got hope? Do I know this? Am I still trying to carry the bag to please God? I turn up this morning and think, man, alive, this just feels heavy. I'm, I'm just struck. Golly, this Christianity is just a weight on me. Maybe you want to do the Alpha course Naomi talked about. Think, golly, I want to ditch the bag. I want to know something of the overflow. Even Anna said to us right at the beginning when she started the songs, it's about a relationship, not about religion. It's not about rules. Oh, but this is an overflow. I tell you, we're going to have great fun looking at this book over the next six weeks. 
we would do more than four verses next week, but we will never get it done. Let's pray and thank God for his word for us today. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, in an age where we can get confused about what truth is, Lord, we do want to be open to the truth of your word. I pray in an age where we get cynical that we will let hope and faith rise. I pray it's not about ourselves and, God, could we do this? I pray we come and recognize it's freely given by your grace. I pray if there's any here today that, oh, this Christianity is just a lot of carrying bricks around. I pray they'll be able to put their bricks down today. I pray instead there'll be an overflow because, oh, you mean I get to know God. I get to know his peace. He loves me. He's for me. I want to be filled with him. I want an overflow of him in my life. We ask all that in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.